You are listening to an Eyes on Washington podcast brought to you by Holland and Knight's Public Policy and Regulation Group. Our Public Policy and Regulation Group is a strong bipartisan team with deep ties throughout Washington, D.C. We have built a thriving government affairs practice through our depth of experience and diversity and by maintaining our bipartisan approach. Our State Attorneys General podcast series is hosted by former Deputy Attorney General of Virginia and Presidential Appointee at the U.S. Department of Commerce, Stephen Cobb. Through conversations with State Attorneys General, this series will dive into the importance and growing role of State Attorneys General while hearing firsthand on what they are working to accomplish in their communities. Welcome to another edition of Holland and Knight's Eyes on Washington podcast, State Attorney's General Edition. My name is Stephen Cobb. I'm a former Deputy Attorney General of the Commonwealth of Virginia and partner at Holland and Knight and co-chair of the firm's State Attorney's General practice. With me today is uh, Joe Sherrata from the Arizona Attorney General's office. Joe is uh, affectionately referred to as the Don Rickles of the state AG community. Um, and besides being a fantastic lawyer and leader in his office, uh, he's also, as the nickname might suggest, of such good humor. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Stephen, thank you so much. Now the pressure's on. I got to add some jokes. <laughs> All the time. Or you can just make fun of me in true Rickles fashion, <laughs> of, of which I'm sure our dozens of listeners would find incredibly entertaining. Joe, one of the things I, I like to do, particularly when we have senior staffers on, is to talk a little bit about the path that brought you to the office. It's you know it's a little different when we're when we're talking with AGs as elected officials. You know the zigs and zags of their political career are often a little bit well known to our uh, to our listeners and the practitioners in this space. But I always like the the senior staffers, such as yourself, to talk about how your career took you to the AG's office. Sure, happy to. And let me just start. It's allergy season here in Arizona, so uh, my voice sounds a little off. That's that's why. But um, so my path started uh, out of law school. I, I started with the oldest law firm in Arizona, Fenimore Craig, now known as Fenimore, and practiced in a variety of different uh, civil litigation areas for about seven years. <clears throat> and then I went in-house counsel with several Fortune 500 companies, so learned uh, a great perspective there. Managed in one company, a billion-dollar litigation docket in 36 states and in Puerto Rico that included securities, tax cases, uh, antitrust, and the variety of that. And then um, I was vice president for litigation at Meritage Homes and worked with a former Arizona attorney general who we had hired as outside counsel. His name was Grant Woods, and may he rest in peace. He, he uh, passed away last year, and he was, a, he was a good friend of mine. And we hit it off not only from a policy perspective, litigation perspective, but he also was of, uh, of good humor and liked to tell jokes. And so we bonded. And that was the year that uh, President Obama was elected. Our then governor, Napolitano, went up to become Homeland Secretary. And we don't have a lieutenant governor in the state, so the Secretary of State ascended to office. And so the, the party switched. And I had always been interested in it. I'm a poli sci major, uh, an undergrad. I've always loved politics and policy. And he asked, you know, would you have an interest in, in going into the public sector and doing public service? And I said, absolutely. I've always been interested in that. You know, I've had a great private sector career, but uh, if the opportunity were right, I would. And so, you know, he introduced me to the administration and um, got hired on as the general counsel for the Arizona Department of Administration, which really was like an in-house counsel position. It involved uh, torts, uh, facilities, benefits, a uh, variety of things, and also included uh, administrative law. And I got to chair 
the Regulatory Review Council, which reviews all, almost all of the regulations that uh, are uh, put forth in the state of Arizona. And about a year into that job, uh, I was approached and uh, never thought I wanted that job, didn't ask for that job, but I was approached. And as an Italian, it was kind of was an offer I couldn't refuse. Uh, I was asked to become general counsel to Governor Jan Brewer. And so uh, it was an honor of my lifetime to represent her uh, for three and a half years as her general counsel. And uh, a lot was going on then, and we did a lot of important transformational legislation. Uh, I took a case to the United States Supreme Court with the great litigator Paul Clement back in the day. And then from that, I became a Superior Court judge after leaving that uh, position. Uh, they put me on the family court, and it wasn't wasn't a good fit for uh, Don Rickles didn't uh, do well in a row, let's just say that. <laughs> so after that, I was approached to join uh, General Brenovich's administration. He and I got to know each other and and became friends when he was uh, director of gaming under Governor Jan Brewer, and I worked with him quite a bit. And he said, we'd love to have you as part of the administration. So I joined in 2016, uh, co-led our uh, state government division, which provides representation to almost all the state agencies, which was a role I was uh, well-suited for coming from uh, the governor's council position. And then after General Brunovich was uh, re-elected in 2018, he wanted to kind of do a reconfiguration of the administration, and he asked me to take on uh, duties in the Civil Litigation Division. And so I've been that uh, division chief for the Civil Litigation Division since uh, 2019, and uh, I oversee civil rights, consumer protection, uh, bankruptcy collection enforcement, tobacco enforcement, as well as our community outreach program, which goes around the state educating uh, constituents about all the incredible programs we do here at the Attorney General's office. And then I have the honor and the fortune of uh, representing the Attorney General at national meetings, whether it be the Attorney General Alliance or uh, NAG, the National Association of Attorneys General. One of these days, I will have to do a complete podcast just on governor's council and their interaction with AG offices because it's incredibly unique. And I think uh, the role of governor's council varies so widely from state to state that folks would be well served to to hear the varying roles that they play. Well, well, on that point, some people ask me, you know, what's the difference between the attorney general's office and the governor's office? And it's a, it's a funny anecdote. Somebody said, well, in the attorney general's office, you can make an appointment for the attorney general. You can get in there pretty quick. You can walk in, pound the table and say, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Attorney General, I don't like the way you're running the office. And the person in the governor's office says, well, it's just the same. You know, it may take a little longer, but you can make an appointment. You can come in, get an appointment with the governor, walk in, pound the desk of the governor and say, Mr. and Mrs. Governor, I don't like the way the attorney general is running their office. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. Well, so let's talk a little bit. Let's get into the role of state AGs. One of the ways that I've set up many of these podcasts before is talking about the growing role of state AGs. In the last 20 years, I believe the number is $168 billion. That's billion with a B. That's been brought in through litigation, settlements, fines, which is just a Herculean number and shows the incredibly wide and expanding nature of the role that state attorneys general play in our overall regulatory scheme. And that's just on multi-states. And that, that, that's not even a factor as to what they're doing solely within the borders of their own state. And I think there is an argument to be made that state attorneys general have a greater regulatory role. And I'm going to use that broadly. I don't necessarily just mean litigating or fines, but in setting a regulatory agenda as a policymaker as well more so than their federal counterparts at FEC, FTC, CFPB, 
And there's many reasons for that. One is the broad nature of their powers. Another is the flexibility in those offices. I mean, you can go from an idea in the morning to a press conference in the afternoon to policy or litigation the following day, which is just a speed other regulatory bodies don't necessarily have. So with that as kind of the table setter, so to speak, can you tell our listeners a little bit about, specifically, I want to focus on consumer protection, as that's one of the areas um, in, in your bailiwick right now. Um, but let's start off with what's going on in Arizona, and then I want to talk a little bit about what's happening nationally and the trends that you, you're seeing both within the confines of the state and across the country. Right. Well, you're exactly right. Uh, the attorney general space kind of was under the radar and was hidden for the longest period of time. Everybody looked to the governor's office and, you know, through policy that way, through the regulatory agencies, uh, passing bills, signing bills at the legislature. But really, the growth and the realization of, of the amazing power, but the amazing good that attorney generals can do nationwide started with the uh, National Tobacco Settlement all those years ago, an incredible bipartisan multi-state effort that took on tobacco for their misleading advertising, and in particular, their, their advertising to youth. And that multi-state, you know, that Arizona settlement's over $100 million a year still to this date, and that goes on in perpetuity. General Brenovich has been the co-chair of the Tobacco Committee for NAG for three years, and I've worked with him in that role. I worked on this issue when I was in the governor's office. And so with that, people realize that, uh, you know, the, the attorney generals have broad power, vast power, consumer side, the criminal side, representing state agencies. And that voice has, has come forth. And I think what we've seen due to the increase in the administrative state on a national level, where a lot of our legislation, if you will, is done in that regard, AG space has been both when there's a Republican president, a Democrat president, filing lawsuits in that regard. And now we've seen the real growth of solicitor generals within the attorney general's office and a pushback on the federal government. And, you know, like I said, it, it goes both ways on the political spectrum. But that's the natural, healthy check and balance that our, our founders envisioned when they uh, created this federal system and the Tenth Amendment. And we've seen, unfortunately, because I think the legislative branch and the executive branch uh, at a national level, they're not getting things done. So it gets pushed to the administrative state, which also ultimately gets pushed to the court. And now we see attorney generals front and center on those issues. And in the wake of the tobacco settlement, attorneys general realized that they are the people's lawyer. As we say here, General Brnovich often says, you know, we're not a state farm, we're the state of Arizona. And we can give a real voice and make a real difference in the consumer protection arena. And I'm very proud since, you know, I, I took over uh, civil litigation division. We had a great track record before that, but we took it to another level. And we're on track now for $1.5 billion in total recoveries under General Brenovich's leadership. And we're now over $300 million in restitution, money back in the pockets of Arizona consumers. And that makes a real difference, a palpable difference. And I'm proud to be a part of that. That's fantastic. So tell me a little bit, you know, I think you said $1.5 billion in Arizona. Without calling out companies uh, by name, can you talk a little bit about either are there trends in industry or um, behavior that has been more prevalent than others or really kind of what what trends are you seeing in industry right now? Well, I mean, the biggest trend and it's it's front and center and uh, I think it's going to be front and center for a period of time, unfortunately, but it was the opioids litigation. Again, another impressive bipartisan multi-state effort 
Uh, we brought resolution to that uh, recently with the distributors and the manufacturer. So that's going to be another $100 million plus settlement coming in to Arizona and then, you know, billions nationwide. Uh, another bipartisan, you know, issue uh, is always autos, whether it's, you know, the financing or promises made in that regard. Uh, another big area that attorney generals are, are keen on now is social media platforms and big tech and those type of things, especially there where there's a youth component. Everybody can rally uh, around that, and that's been uh, refreshing to see. It's amazing. The attorney general space, as partisan as our country is this day, is still a bipartisan arena, and people can come together in in, uh, common fashion and goodwill to get things done. And that's why it's always a joy to go to these, these national meetings and see that, not only camaraderie, but the the bipartisan focus. And when attorney generals work together, uh, this is a space where we get things done. And so the other area I'd say are, you know, health and, and medicines, big generic drug, uh, multi-state litigation that's been going on for years. Those are always things that are, are trending and, you know, at the forefront on a national level. So when we talk about all of those areas that you mentioned, you mentioned uh, pharmaceuticals and automobiles and tech and several others, Describe for me, if you will, how companies in your, in your mind should or shouldn't engage with state AG offices. Let me set the table for you a little bit better. I found both when I was in the AG's office and after I left that working with an AG's office can be a bit of a black box for folks who don't do so regularly. There's not rules of civil procedure for an AG's office. Both individuals and companies alike are cut off guard by the breadth of power that AGs have, be that a civil investigative demand or causes of action, right? Unique to state AGs, you know, for for instance, the nuisance causes that state AGs can bring and have that's been interpreted so broadly, particularly in the environmental arena. So both when I was in office and and, and since I've left, I think that the dialogue is an incredibly important tool and it's an education on both sides because consumer protection offices tend to be, and I believe rightly so, sensitive to complaints that they're getting in from consumers or headlines that they're reading. And sometimes there is a fact from fiction as to what is actually going on in the industry vis-a-vis where the complaints are. And so there's a information delta that sometimes can be bridged through proactive communication. So kind of now with, with that as the base, what do you see as kind of helpful synergies from, between the private sector and that mission of the AG's office across industry based in that, those kind of areas that you mentioned, like consumer protection and antitrust? Well, I think the key for industry is to get educated and involved in the attorney general space early and before there's an issue. And I think that's in part by having uh, good representation and then going to these meetings uh, on a national level. The programming is excellent. It tells you what's front and center. You've got great access to the attorney generals and their staff, and you get to know people before there's an issue. If you're trying to do that, reach out after there's an issue, after there's a problem. Obviously, it's a different dynamic. There's a different trust perspective. So the key is know the space, know your attorney general where you're doing business, know their office before there's an issue. And then when there is, I think transparency, candor, not hiding the ball. If you have those relationships built up to say, can we address this with candor to try and get ahead of it before that explodes? 
And I think the key is, and oftentimes I think companies make the mistake, they want to have litigation counsel, be their lobbying or representation counsel, or their settlement counsel. And I think that is problematic. You've got to look at it from, you may have to litigate and eventually they'll get to a settlement, but I think companies are best suited to kind of separate those two issues out because sometimes the litigating entity doesn't have the, the grand picture in place. And if it's a scorched earth type of mentality to the litigation, it could hamper those ultimate negotiations. So I've, I've seen recently where companies, if it has gone forward, separate that out and try and deal with that on a separate track. And it's, uh, it's been very successful on that. Bottom line, though, is early on, if you're starting to see inquiries from an attorney general's office, whether it's their frontline you know, consumer information type uh, unit that's not necessarily attorneys, or if you're starting to see inquiries from an office, it kind of goes back to medicine. A good bedside manner goes a long way. Get out there, address it up front, figure out what the issue is. Don't, don't stick your head in the sand. And if there's a problem, own it, fix it, and that'll go a long way and probably save you hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees at the end of the day. Just understand that there's the problem and if you go to fix it, when I see that, that breeds goodwill. I know that that's a good actor. And from my perspective, I came from the private sector. I came from corporate America. I mean, you know, they're not inherently evil. There's, you know, they're, they're, they're people too. And if you show that goodwill up front along the way, that can make a big difference in the, in the handling of the case, the trust factor, and try and get to a reasonable resolution. And the other thing that's important is you got to know the space. You got to have, you know, people like you who know the different offices around the country. Because if there's an issue, uh, try and take it to an office that you think will be reasonable. You know, we're very, uh, we're fair, but we're tough here. And um, I'll work with any, any company that wants to come forward. But, you know, push comes to shove. We'll take, we'll take cases to trial and we will get the right result at the end of the day. But if you want to be reasonable, if you want to have a conversation to try and get to that finish line early, you know, we're willing to do that. Others, they want a pound of flesh just for the, the purpose of that. And I don't think that's the role of the regulator either. We've got to enforce the law to protect the consumer. But we have to also realize the companies are constituents, too. It's interesting. You know, you've hit a lot of themes that some of the other offices have really hit on. And I think I'm going to paraphrase, but General Donovan in Vermont had said, listen, you know, we can litigate, but that could take five years. Um, and I'm looking to find solutions now. And, you know, why put off for five years with that which, you know, effective communication and candor can get to the forefront? Sure. And I always found that to be vitally important. So we've talked about some of the past trends going on in both Arizona and nationally. We've talked about how to deal and communicate effectively with, with AG offices. Now I want you to look into your crystal ball um, and tell me what the next year is going to hold amongst the state AGs. Well, I think from a global perspective, not just a, a consumer protection perspective, I think we're going to continue to see a lot of federal litigation against the administration from Republican states, just because there's a Democrat president now, but Congress is not getting a lot of stuff done still, and a lot of stuff's happening through the administrative state. So you're going to see a lot of litigation in that regard, whether it's rulemaking, immigration, those type of things. I think that will still be in the forefront. What are, what subject matters outside of immigration do you see as kind of having those federalism friction? Uh, I think there's some environmental things. There could be, even in the consumer protection area, uh, we have to make sure that, you know, entities like the CFPB and FTC, you know, stay within their lane. And if they've got authority to do rulemaking, it's got to be precise and direct. 
It can't be some type of vague theory, and then they can go off and do that. I think the uh, the vaccine mandate litigation was key on that, especially when we saw that through the, the holding of the Supreme Court related to OSHA, and then it's compared to those in the, in the healthcare arena and the, the juxtaposition of those decisions and to see how some of the justices came out on, on both sides, depending on you know the, spe- the specificity of the statute and the, the empowerment of those administrative agencies. I think you're going to also see uh, there's been an increase over the years in states on their own, working together as multi-states, but also in partnership on a bipartisan uh, level in antitrust. Because at, the, at, the, at its base, antitrust is a form of consumer protection, frankly, some of the oldest form of consumer protection in our country. And that has kind of seen a, a resurgence. And as there's consolidation and whatnot in some of our marketplace, we're going to keep a uh, mindful eye on that as well. And uh, states, it's just not you know the, the merger side of things as well. Uh, that's what this generic drug litigation is all about, is their coordination is to keep prices high, especially in the area of, of medications, which are so important to people. So I think that's an, a, a trend that will, will continue, that we'll see in the future. Let me dig in there a little bit more sure. on, anti, on antitrust in, in particular. So what sort of anti-competitive behaviors are AGs seeing that, that is causing the most concern? I mean, is it is it anti-competitive behavior? Is it unfair coordination? Is is this, are we worried about, as you said, mergers and monopolies? Break those down for me a little bit more as to where the concern lies. Well, I mean, right now there are three, uh, you know, massive generic drug cases that have been pending for a while and are continuing to pending. And that is about alleged coordination and uh, illegal allocation of the market to inflate the prices. And that's the allegation. Can we get there at the end of the day? I mean, that's 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 why we're litigating. So that is always a concern. We're seeing now where uh, in some some areas, especially you know tech and the like, the bigger companies are buying up the smaller companies and they have uh, control of the marketplace in some areas. Is that enough? You know, it always comes down to, as you know, defi- what is the marketplace? And that's the key. You got to define that first as a threshold level to then get to the other uh, parts of the analysis uh, on the merger side. But mergers and, and growth is, is okay. But when you do it, Stifling out the competitors and doing it in a way that improperly allocates the market, that's where AGs, again, on a bipartisan uh, level, will have to inquire. You mentioned some of those federalism frictions with the administration, particularly and potentially with some of the Republican AGs. Do you think antitrust is one of those areas where there might be times for working collaboratively with the administration on those antitrust issues? Since since there is overlapping jurisdiction. Absolutely. I mean, our office uh, joined an antitrust uh, action uh, brought by uh, the Biden administration against American Airlines and, and JetBlue in the, uh, the Eastern Corridor. We work with them on a variety of issues in the uh, big tech space. And uh, I, I think there is there is an avenue there. There certainly is a dialogue. And I think that's one space where, uh, thankfully, you know, it's not overly politicized from a, from a partisan perspective. You know, people put on their uh, you know, consumer protection hat there and kind of have that, that vision. And obviously, you know, politics is politics. We all have our perspective and whatnot, but there has been, there has been dialogue and cooperation there um, between the states and the federal government. And that's good. That's okay. Uh, and that's the way it should be. It should be a collaborative effort. Uh, unfortunately, uh, sometimes it's not. And, uh, you know, that's where we have to draw the line. Joe, you've been incredibly generous uh, with your time. I want to ask you one question that has absolutely nothing to do with state AGs, 
which is that, you know, I see, I, well, I know, and, and I can see that you are a proud Michigan alumnus. I see your, your Michigan emblem there in the back. Um, I've loved the friendly ribbing amongst the state AGs, uh, particularly Dana Nessel being the, the University of Michigan fan, General Ford, an Ohio State fan. I, I, I'm guessing General Yost um, has jumped into the fray here. Uh, do you have any bold predictions for Wolverines, Buckeyes this coming fall? Michigan well, finally got in the win column for the first time in a, in a while last fall. Is, is, is this something they're going to be able to repeat? Well, I grew up a Buckeye. I'm born and raised in Ohio, and then I went to Michigan undergrad, and now I, I bleed maize and blues. So uh, it was a long drought. It was a painful drought. Uh, the glory years were there when I was there in the in the early 1990s. Um, you know, Harbaugh, he's, he's, he's done well. Uh, he's had his struggles, but I think we've got a good foundation there. We've lost some key people on defense, so those are going to be some big holes to fill. But uh, I'm hopeful, but all I know is in the past year, we're 1-0, and that's all that counts. There you go. Joe, before we close it out, is there anything, uh, initiatives in Arizona, work that the AG's office is doing that you'd like to highlight? You know, we've, we've done great, so many great things on the consumer front, and we just encourage folks, if you're an Arizona consumer or come to Arizona to, to vacation or do business and you think you've been defrauded, please file a complaint with our office and we'll look into it. Uh, I have to say, last year alone, our CIC, our initial unit, handled 15,000 consumer complaints, over 45,000 calls, 22,000 emails. And that initial frontline unit themselves, they're not lawyers, they're just facilitating between companies and consumers, they themselves brought in and returned $5 million to, to consumers in Arizona. So we have a real uh, impressive unit here from uh, those that interface directly with the public all the way up to our investigators and our lawyers. And a small matter could lead to a bigger trend. So we just encourage people to file. We'll look into it. And uh, if there's an issue, uh, we'll certainly uh, move forward on that to correct the wrong if we can. Joe, thanks so much for your time. That's great information. This has been another installment of Holland and Knight's Eyes on Washington podcast, State Attorney's General Edition. Uh, my name is Stephen Cobb, and this has been with Joe Sherrata from the Arizona Attorney General's Office. Joe, thanks again, and we look forward to having everyone back for the next podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to an Eyes on Washington podcast brought to you by Holland and Knight's Public Policy and Regulation Group. For more information on our Public Policy and Regulation Group, please visit hklaw.com slash PPR.